Now, what I'm going to do this morning is, um, well, I suppose I'm going to preach, but I'm not really. So if you can bear with me, uh, we're on a series looking at the gospel. Um, and what I'd like to do is just, just take this casually with you. So it's going to be a casual thing, okay? You can tell it's casual because I'm going to put my hand in my pocket. Okay. Uh, and, uh, so if you've got a Bible, would you like to turn to Philippians chapter 1? Yesterday at Borderlands, I actually spoke on Philippians chapter 2, and this bears no connection whatsoever, uh, because what happened is uh, that yesterday um, and today they weren't connected, but this was put in our preaching um, series a long, long time ago. So Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to uh, 26, and then we'll just have a We'll chat through some things. Oh, can you just about see that? Um, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it happened, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial God and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter will do it out of love, knowing that I am put there for the defense of the gospel. The former Proclaim, the, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambi- ambition, not sincerely, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out to, for my deliverance, as it is uh, my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or death. This is the verse that you hear in most worship so you get this one most weeks in worship for me to live is christ and to die is gain that's often spoken about isn't it we may look at that later if we've got time if i am to live in the flesh that means fruitful labor for me yet which i shall choose i cannot tell i'm hard pressed between the two My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and for uh, for joy in faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my my coming to you again. Okay, 
what I'd like to do first is um, just give you a little bit about the setting so that you know. The, the red blob at the top of the corner there is uh, Philippi. Uh, you can see long-legged Italy if you've got that uh, kicking little Sicily. You know, we won't go there. But basically Philippi is uh, located on a very fertile uh, plain in central Macedonia. Uh, it's 16 kilometres, won't do miles because of our overseas students, uh, inland uh, from the seaport of Neapolis. And the area, uh, if you were to have gone to it in, uh, in Paul's time, uh, would have been rich in uh, minerals and actually they mined gold. So you would have bought your gold from Philippi. Ladies, that's where you go. Okay, it's named Philippi after Philip, and Philip was the father of Alexander the Great. And uh, the the town, the city, came under uh, Roman occupation in about 168, where they took over uh, the town. By the time Paul visited it in uh, 49, it was a sprawling urban political centre. This is some of the ruins. If you visited today, I have no idea what the umbrella is in the middle. But that's what you would see. So it just gives you an idea of part of it. And you can see there would have been huge, grand uh, buildings there. We know that when Paul went there, that he... Uh, met Lydia, a seller of purple, somebody who was selling very rich and w- uh, materials. <coughs> we know that he met the jailer and his family, and the jailer and his family uh, all became Christians. You can read that in the book of Acts. And we also know that, uh, uh, that uh, Paul prayed for a slave girl who had a demon, and he released her from demon oppression. And these stories that we read in the book of Acts came together to form the church. Now, can you get an idea what the church would have looked like? Uh, Slave girls, people who were very wealthy, jailers and and, and the family, the early beginnings of the church. Actually, a little bit later, this would cause problems. But at this point, it's uh, the beginnings of a church. Uh, We don't know how long Paul Uh, stayed in Philippi. Uh, We know that he was there with Timothy and Luke. Uh, We know that as the church grew, isn't this a wonderful thing, that people perceived of them as God-fearing people. That's a wonderful description, isn't it? Those guys over there, they are God-fearing. And it grew. And as it grew, uh, it actually faced uh, quite a lot of physical um, opposition, so there were people in their, in their congregation that, was, that suffered and actually died because of the gospel. So they lost friends and family because people had believed in Jesus. And uh, there was also internal division. It's difficult to say where that internal division came from, Uh, It's described as grumbling and moaning. But what we think is that we think that the division came with the division of classes and also false teachers that were in there. So that was where where some of the the groaning came. 
And uh, in the end, what Paul had to do was that he had to send back Timothy to try and sort it all out. And Paul is writing to them from prison. I don't know whether this is uh, the actual prison, uh, but this is some of the ruins uh, in Rome uh, where, where they say uh, was a, a prison. And it's likely that people like Peter and Paul and other people uh, would have been kept uh, in that prison uh, lightly underground rather than above ground, which is what we are sort of looking at partly, partly there. And uh, a lot of theologians dispute uh, whether Paul was writing uh, from uh, Rome in prison. Uh, and uh, although I believe that he possibly was, that would be my position. What we do know is that as he's writing uh, in, from the context of prison, he isn't writing, um, uh, being able to wander around in a prison, he's writing in chains, so it's probably, it's highly likely that he's manacled, uh, is that the right word, uh, with his feet, is that the right word, is it, with arms and legs, so that's the way that we've got. When he writes the letter to the church in, in Philippi, he, he does this thing first where he, he starts off writing with thanksgiving and then prayer. And then we get the verses that we, we, we're just going to briefly look at. And we just go as far as we want to go with it. Uh, and, but the, the tone of the letter is an interesting one. Because the tone of the letter, as against some of the other letters that he writes, that we have in our New Testament, is, is one of the ones that is, can be described as the friendship letters. Meaning that the connection between Paul and these people as personal was very deep. He was writing to them as his friends. And the tone, although we lose it in our English, is that these are my friends. And uh, the writer then goes on to explain his situation, which we have here, and his thoughts about them whilst he is in prison and they are going through what they're going through. When you get to verse 30, though, what you get is that you get uh, a little bit of an insight into the understanding that Paul has about the situation. Because he writes in verse 30 uh, that they are engaged in the same conflict uh, that you saw and I now hear. That, uh, sorry, engaged in the same conflict that you saw, I had, and now hear that I still have. Basically, sort of saying that what they're experiencing, he is experiencing well, as well. Well, what, what is that that they can both empathize with and share together with? Well, the one thing that we know is that they were both affected by this great mechanism called Rome. So that's what Philippi is. Uh, is Rome is pressing in on the church. And of course, we know Paul's in prison and Rome has pressed in on his life. So we know that. The second part of it is the passage um, tells us that, that they both have received less than, less than the best from Christians, which is interesting, isn't it? Even in the early church, we've got this problem where, where Christians uh, are being rather harsh to one another and Paul is saying, yeah, that's happening to me in Rome. I'm here in Rome, 
and you would think that the Roman Christians would be there to help me and assist me, and no, they're not. They're not helping me. And here we are in, in uh, Philippi, and what, what he's saying is, yeah, you know, they're not either helping you, are they, really? And he's going through that sort of thing. And what he's saying is this passage also reflects on his view of imprisonment. How do you view it when you are arrested and placed imprisonment? And how does that view also affect how you should live or the church should live from it? And that's what Paul's trying to do. So the passage that we've got, it starts off like this. It says, he put, let me summarize it for you and then I'll waffle a bit longer. He says this, he said, look, in the end, it's all about Christ and the gospel. That's what I want you to get hold of. It is all about Christ and the gospel. He says this, imprisonment is an advantage and not a disadvantage, meaning problems should not stop you. They should not be, they should not get in the way. He says that I'm rejoicing because if I have that point of view, and you have that point of view, and because I have that point of view, I have noticed that the gospel can advance, that nothing can stop it. And he wants them to have that view. He says, my heart is that though uh, I am going through trials, that my heart is that I will magnify Jesus. And if I die, then I'll be with Jesus. And he thinks that if I can impress this on you, then this will help the church. So, how long we got? Well, I've got four points, but we'll just stop because there is some amazing cake out there. And I know that you are lovers of cake. So, let's try and do this. So, you need to go with me uh, in your Bibles and we need, you need to hold out Philippians uh, chapter 1 and, and start in verse 12. So we're going to look at the gospel advances inside and outside the prison. Here is how a person for whom Christ is a person for whom Christ and the gospel, how uh, we can see how they respond in adversity. How how should we therefore respond in advertisement in adversity? Now, he starts off in verse twelve. I, I want you to know. I want you to know. So what he's also said is, look guys, this point is very important. And I actually think that this point is very important. Because one of the things that stops our relationship with God, and one of the things that stops our, um, our proclaiming, as it were, of the gospel, 99 times out of 100, is adversity. And Paul, way, 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 way back then, goes, I want you to know, look, this, guys, is very, very important that you get this. And it's still important because when Paul's writing this, he's writing this to you. He's he's wanting you to know that this is vital in the way that you view Jesus and the gospel. It is hugely important. If we don't get this, we will be a lump in Wrexham. We won't be the mountain of the Lord. We will be an anthill or a molehill in Wrexham. And Paul's sort of saying, look guys, I want you to get 
this in. This is important. How you view adversity and balance that with the gospel. Secondly, he says, he talks to them in a way that we need to see this. And then he talks to them in terms of using the term brothers and sisters. And the way that he's using the term is that he's using it as, well, look, we, we are family together in this. And, and family is the way that we do the gospel. Now, if you have a, a family uh, issue in our family, over our time in, in our family, we have had times when we have had to go to the rescue of our children. They have been, uh, both when they were little, we've gone to their rescue when they've fallen off bikes, or as they've got older, we've had to uh, rescue them uh, in different times. I'm not going to embarrass uh, Rachel or anything like that. And it is our intention in our, that we are ready still, and I hope uh, Mr. and Mrs. Harmon over here are ready this, that it is because we are their parents that we, in our hearts, are ready uh, because they are family to rescue them, the new Mr. and Mrs. Harmon, whatever happens because they are part of our family. It's what family does. Yeah, isn't it? No, it isn't. Okay, it's what family do. It's just what family do. And what Paul is sort of saying, look, is adversity and Christ and the gospel is family business. Meaning, it's, it, we don't leave anybody out there vulnerable just doing it. It's family business. If we, even if we have gifted evangelists, even if we have people that rise up and they're extraordinarily gifted with this, what, we're not going to leave them alone, giving out leaflets one by one, and they say, no, it's family business. Come on, guys, this is brother and sister's work. We all do it. It isn't Wednesday night is the reckless four night. Or that whatever happens, Saturday morning is, is the stupid leafleters. You know, that sort of stuff. Guys, no, we're on the gospel is family business. It's what we do. And we behave like family by saying, I'm not going to leave my brothers and sisters vulnerable in regard to the gospel. And that's what Paul's saying. And we shouldn't do it. So we shouldn't have these things that happen where, do you know that sort of thing where the few gather? It's wrong. We should all do it. Okay, let's move on. He then says this extraordinary statement, doesn't he? Which will explain, what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Here's, here's the Apostle Paul that knows that all things work together for good to those who are called uh, uh, according to his purpose. And so what he's, what he's actually saying here is, is that, you know, whatever you stick in my way, <laughs> it, will, it will serve to advance the gospel. That's a wonderful perspective. You know, so it isn't, oh, no, stumble at all. He's going, no, no, you can throw whatever you like at me and at us, it, will, it can serve the gospel. So the viewpoint is not that this is now things that have gone wrong. The viewpoint isn't that things are going wrong. The things are going this is a bad moment for me. Paul's view is that whatever is going on, 
in our lives, whatever description you might look to do it, for Paul, his view is, I will use this to serve for the gospel's sake. Now, if you come at life from that, do you know that will help you so much? If you, if you have that view of, oh no, this has happened, can't, then you have f- stumbled at the first hurdle. But if you have this view uh, that Paul has, that whatever comes at me, this train ain't stopping, that's the, that's the, so that's the way that Paul is going into it. Now most of us go, this train is stopping and it's parking at this station for a while and I'm going to get off and I'm just going to put my feet in a foot bath for a while and then in a little bit I'll get back on the train again and go and Paul doesn't have that. He goes, no, this train is not stopping. And that's what he has. It's, it's incredible, isn't it? The also the thing is that he describes his situation in verse, th- I don't even know, we're not going to get through all four points, we're going to get through one, are we? Okay, we'll do one. Let's do one. He talks about my imprisonment. This is this thing, Phil, about don't use any notes. This is killing me. Uh, it's, there's, I've got no restrictions. Verse, verse 13, uh, this is Jeremy Simkins' fault. Jeremy Simkins said to me, you're using too many notes, Nigel. Don't use notes. Cut loose. <laughs> Look at this. I'm cutting, but I'm not getting anywhere. Verse 13 and 14 and 17, he describes the situation. He said, he talks about my imprisonment. Now, let's just get this firstly right in two perspectives. One is, course things are very personal. Of course they are. Everything happens is personal. If you say to me, you know, you hate Wolverhampton Wanderers because I'm from Wolverhampton, I'm going to take it personally. It just is. So Paul describes this, he's going, my, my imprisonment. He's, it isn't that, you know, it's just, it's my imprisonment. And there is a personal aspect to it. But I want you to hear the original sense of what he's saying. And although he's saying my imprisonment, he's actually going, I'm not taking this personally. He's going, yeah, this is what's happened to me. He's, it's not a, if you look at the original construction of the words that are being used, he's not going, not my, my imprisonment. He's, and, you know, our first reaction in most things, isn't it, is to take things personally. And what happens when we take things personally actually means that the gospel will not go forward. Because we're just dealing with my hurts and my pains here. And we sing that song, don't we? It's all about me. It is. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, you know. And we do. And the thing is that what Paul knows is that he sort of said, yes, it's my imprisonment, but it's not about me. And that is a key point. It is my imprisonment, but it's not about me. Because as soon as it's about you, the Jesus and the gospel will stop. Okay? The second thing is that what you can't get by the original word here is the description of my imprisonment. Because we look at it, and, and we look at it and, and with the finality upon it. We're reading it and going, good grief, the guy's in prison. And, and if you're reading it, and he's not saying that in the original. He's basically sort of saying, my, my imprisonment. But if I can try and explain this to you, the best way to do it is from God's perspective. It, it, it's, it's as if he's looking down on it rather than, 
rather than being in it. That's the best way to describe the, the terms that he's using in it. It's sort of like God's view. It's God's view of my imprisonment over eternity and from how high it is. Sort of looking down on it and in the context of eternity. Because most things that happen to us, don't they? They fill our world, don't they not do that? You know, I, I, I think, eat, sleep, talk, waffle, go on about the things that happen to me. Not only do I want to engage you, Jonathan Burroughs, in everything that one hour ago. And, and what we don't do is that we, do, we go my personal and we don't, have it, we don't have it in eternity and we don't have it from God's perspective. And in those two short words, my imprisonment, 13, 14 and 17, the Apostle Paul, the readers would have gone, boof. Well, I don't know another word for that. They, <laughs> the Philippians, it would have, they would have had a foreign accent on it, wouldn't it? Boof. That's my best French accent, Francois. Where are you? There we go. Because they'd have all had berries and onions and things. But we, of course, only eat fish and chips. So, what did Francois do when he came? What do I want to do? What every English person does: eat fish and chips. I only eat fish and chips when I'm away, Francois, just to let you know. So I, I was away the other night from Cali, so I had fish and chips. True, Steve? Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, where am I on about? I'm just in so much trouble. Anyway, my imprisonment, my imprisonment. Okay, eternal, God's perspective, not personal. That's the key. That hugely is the key. Not personal, God's perspective, eternal. Got it? Yeah. Fantastic. We've not gone anywhere. So to Paul, the gospel is his purpose, whatever and whatever. Uh, So what what he's going to do here, he's he's going to, he's telling the Philippians, they can do whatever they like to me. They They can put me wherever they like. But my purpose for living is the gospel. And whatever situation that I'm in, they're going to get the gospel wherever I am. And that is really interesting. And so when we get to verse 13, he goes, so that. And then you find out that what he's done is that he's been put in prison and he's trying to encourage through the Philippian church. And he he says, so so that. And I, I put it like this. So that I look at the prison and think, what is my opportunity here? Now, if you were Paul... You would not do, if you were Nigel, you would not do this. So you've got to imagine that Nigel is manacled and he's stuck and he's in a cellar and I'm, th- and I'm thinking, I am in my an Apostle Paul moment here. Where is the gospel for me? And I look out of a little crack from my bars like this and I watch the biggest centurion that you can think of marching across the parade ground with all the prison officers. And they were called the Imperial Guard. And Paul goes, looking through the thing, I know why I'm here. The biggest is mine. And he's looking out there, and it tells you this. He goes, okay, I'm stuck in this prison, but the biggest and the hardest gorilla that I can see from my window, he is getting it. And if you think about that, it is an extraordinary 
moment. That's the, that's the effect of his thinking. The effect of his thinking is, this is an opportunity, I will not be stopped by it, and, and that will be the way that I go. And I, not only that, I will go for the biggest one. I, I, I just think this is magnificent living, that he will do that, that he will take that opportunity. He didn't sort of say, I'll sing hymns to the little guy that's next to me in the little cell. You know, him. I'll do that. And what you read later on is, is that, is, is that it, it sort of permeates through. Because later on he talks about that his imprisonment for Christ, this thing, because it didn't stop him, because he had this view of, okay, we'll go for this. What it says is that the effect was that it touched all the rest. I think that's an amazing thing. So here's Paul in prison, worst moment of our lives. Could it possibly get any worse? No. And Paul is witnessing through, and you see the other guys, what they're going is going, this bloke is crazy, but I like him. So there's conversations going on around the prison and outside of the prison walls because Paul is witnessing in the most hardest place. Do you know that is the effect of what you do? That as soon as you get that in your heart and get that in your mind in regard to the gospel, that the gospel has an effect that it reverberates in and around where you're working. And Paul is having to deal with, can you imagine this? You know, Paul's having to deal with people who are, who are talking about what he has got to say because they are spreading it without him. He's manacled. He's witnessing to the one heavy guy. The heavy guy's going, you can't believe this. There's a bloke in here that's talking to me about Jesus. They're having their jam sandwiches and butties. And while they're eating, they're saying, I can't believe this. There's a guy here and he's doing this. And it's permeating through. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That's the thing, you see. The thing is, it's already worked. You cannot stop it if we are brave enough to do it. See? And you can't pick this up. I love this. Uh, we'll, we will get to the end of it. We'll just do one point. And, I, and you can ring Simpkins and complain. The, the thing is that when you, what you can't pick up the point is that verses 12 and 13, when he's writing these verses... You can't pick up the tone because it just looks like that's it's the like the my imprisonment thing, you know. I'm in prison, me, me, I. It's that you can't pick up the tone because the tone actually, the commentators say this is the tone of verses 12 and 13 is one of triumph, not of failure. So Paul's expectation in prison, manacled below ground. With the big heavy guy with the big red feather thing at the back like that and the big chesty thing that shines with brasso, all that sort of stuff is that is that what will what the, the tone is actually triumph. His tone is that the gospel will be victorious even in this place. Now you think about that because the Romans think that they are victorious. And Paul is writing with a tone of victory. He's saying, my expectation, the way that I think, is that the Myla Hospital can be won for Christ. 
The university can be one for Christ. I've got a victorious approach to it. I believe that we can see people saved, people healed, people changed. That my school, my, the place that, I'm, that I am in, is not this hard place where it, we, we, the gospel just cannot work here any longer. Well, I don't know, can you get any harder than this? I don't think you can really. And what Paul's saying is, we need a gospel, biblical, triumphant approach to this ridiculous thing called hard places. That's what he's sort of saying. He's sort of saying, you know, when we go to meetings, you know, um, Steve and Phil know this. Of course, Staffordshire is the worst place in the world. And we go, no, no, no. Not lived, ever lived in North Wales. Pagans, North Wales. Ah, two. It's just awful. Come on. You just cannot believe it. Uh, and they go, yes, yeah, Staffordshire. We're all, we're all little towns. We were pottery towns. We've come together. We fight each other. And we go, yeah, what about us? Welsh language. Wah! There is no other greater obstacle to the gospel than Welsh language. These little chapels where three sing a hymn in Welsh and we're never going to penetrate in all this sort of thing. And Paul goes, pa! And he, and he wants us to actually adopt a view of the gospel can triumph over everything. And that's where he wants us to grow. And he wants us to know that. He wants us to know that in regard to our neighbour. He wants us to know that in regard to our work colleague. He wants us to know that into institutions and parliaments and rulers and kings and queens and nations. He wants us to have a victory view of it. I've got four points. (laughs) But also in verse 14, he talks about a courageous gospel. Um, I've got two. We'll do two and then we'll knock it on the head. He talks about a courageous gospel. Do you know, it's true. It takes some people to believe this thing and act courageously. That's what Paul's saying. He talks about it in verse 14. He's saying, look, if we can, if we from our prison cells and you as the church in Philippi, with Rome pressing in, with all the problems we have, if you can be courageous, it will be infectious. He talks about becoming bold and, and, and losing fear. And it takes some people to say, okay, guys, I'm not going to be fearful of this any longer. It is true, isn't it? You know, God's on my side until we go down Eagles Meadow Shopping Centre, then he's not. Then we go down Eagles Meadow Shopping Centre and that is the worst place with the worst people in the world and I become a, a timid nitwit when I'm down there. I just, you know, I just, no, please. And, we sort of do, and what Paul is just saying is, is that by the Spirit of God, that sense of courageous spirit that was in Joshua. Be strong. Be very courageous. Come on. This is is God's character through us. And we we bring people through and it spreads out. It's infectious. Courage is infectious. I I don't know if we've ever, ever done this, but I'm going to admit to this now. I am really sorry about this. It's part of my past. But I was in the Scouts. I, I, it's just appalling, but it's true. 
Uh, and I was in the fifth Willinall Scouts, and uh, I, I have uh, got my Chief Scouts badge. Ooh. I've had Woggles. Everybody's going, what? <laughs> and neckerchiefs. And I have sung Kumbaya round campfires. <laughs> but every now and again, what they do in the scouts is they take you to positions that you have, have, have never done before in your life. And there's something about this. I think Rachel has now been released from this because she's no longer a Lloyd. She's now a Harmon. And the thing is that... <laughs> She, it's, it's, a, it's a far better name. And what, has hap- what happens is, is that if you were a Lloyd, people think that you were the idiot can go first. That was basically it. And, and it has always been my life. My, my life has always been, Callie will tell you this, that if there's something that's going to go wrong or anything like this that is not affected to us, it will go wrong because I am sort of there. It will just happen. Now, in the Scouts, we decided that we would do an a abseil. And I don't know if you've ever done an abseil. Look, it's a poo moment. It just is. However much you describe this, you, you've just, it just is one of the, it's a nappy moment. It just is. You can't, sorry, Phil, I said, I said it. But it just, it, there is no way that you can do this casually. It just is. It is a, when you're doing it for the first time, it's not one of those casual, it's not, I'm all right here. Jonathan Burrows has done this outside of an aeroplane. You should have seen the size of his nappy. It was huge. <laughs> He, he sort of hurtled himself out of this thing. It's true. It's, you know, it's no good him leading meetings. So he just did it. But, and it's true. Tr- but one of, one of the things that, that what happens is that when they got you up there, there's one guy, and, they, and I don't know whether in the, the way that I was in our scouts, so they go, so they go, well, who's going to go first? And they'll go, Lloydy. <laughs> that would be the one. Lloydy goes first. Well, of course, as soon as Lloydy's done it, the others feel actually free to do it. There is a huge liberating thing with people that will be courageous. It's almost as if the second thing is not half as much as the first thing. I don't understand that dynamic, but can you see how that dynamic works? When the one person does it, there's something strange that when the second person, it just doesn't feel as bad. And that, there is this dynamic that happens, and it is infectious. And Paul is calling us to be a people of courage. He said, where are the people of courage that will step out for the gospel so that the gospel will be pulled through by us all? And I want to say that to you. Where are our people of courage? Where are you people that will say, okay, I am strong in, in the Lord. The strength of the Lord is with I'm going to do it. I'm going to encourage people to come with me and be courage. Uh, and whatever, sorry. Lastly, and then finish. I, how I was going to do four points in this, I don't know. We're only at verse 14. We're confident in the Lord. That's the key. Paul's view for himself and for them is confidence in the Lord. That the work of the Lord in his life and in, his, in the lives of the, the thing that's going on at the moment with him is that the Lord will tip the balance on the circumstances. That's the thing. My confidence 
is not in my circumstances. My, my confidence is not in what I see. My confidence is not in what is going on here. My confidence is in the Lord. And it's a balanced thing. It's this sort of thing. And he's saying, look, we need to load this up with truth. And we need to load it with testimony. And we need to load it really with, with the knowledge of God. And we put it on this balance. And our problem is, guys, that we, we go into these gospel situations actually thinking that the balance is not in our favour. If we're honest with ourselves and we level with ourselves and just be truthful instead of being religious, you know, of course I'm confident in the Lord. Yeah, but when you had the opportunity to pray for, how did you do? Oh, no, a little bit. Don't, don't, guilt, guilt nights, guilt, guilt. We're people of grace. Come on, we're people of grace. They can't. What happens is this, that truth gets loaded and, and, and all these things go and they tip the balance on us and we become confident in the situations we're in. And some of it we're not confident because actually we're not confident in our God. It, we're not confident in our God. And the Apostle Paul wants to say, look, the, the key moment is if God is for us, who can be against us? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Our Jesus does save. Our Jesus does heal. Our God is the creator God of all things. He, he's the guy that can just speak. What's the problem? And we sort of need to stack these up and allow them as the tipping balance. And, and that's what God wants to do. So uh, I, I, have we got a sort of confidence song that we can sing that is something about, but not be bold, be strong for the Lord? Because I hate that. Because this is the thing. Paul sees his arrest not as a stumbling block, but as an opportunity. So do you see that? Hear that? Paul sees his arrest not as a stumbling block, but as an opportunity. And through that attitude, he has allowed, he has helped others to share the gospel. Amen? Amen. I didn't finish it. Oh, well. 